it seems like to me that everything is already whole. Every atom, every beam, every ecosystem, the planet, the universe. And it's just our minds that start to piece it apart and create separation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hub Culture Chronicles. This time, we're going to take you deep into the jungles of Costa Rica, south of San Jose, the capital, about three to four hours, nestled into the mountains of a range called the Diamantes, is the Diamante Valley. And at the peak of that range, overlooking the valley, is a beautiful spot called Holos. Holos is a new type of space, a new type of retreat center, a medicine center, and a reforestation project. We're going to be joined by Ian Michael Herbert from Holos, who is the founder, to hear all about their work, and their current guest and visitor, Paul Groff. Paul is one of the legendary icons of the psychedelic movement, and his academic and perceptual research on the subject of psychedelics has covered ecstasy, psilocybin, and other substances, and their effect on the human body, especially the brain. So welcome, Ian, Michael, and welcome, Paul, to The Chronicles. How are you down in Costa Rica today? We are doing very well. So good. Nice connecting with you. Yeah, nice to see you again, Stan. Now, for our for our listeners, uh, just a couple of days ago, I was with you, and we tried to get this into a live conversation, but ran out of time there in the jungle. So I'm in Washington, D.C. for the World Bank IMF meetings. You guys are there at Holos. Can you just paint a picture of your view right now from, from Holos? Yeah, we're looking out on this beautiful landscape of jungle, and the far distance there's hills, and if I was to step a couple of feet towards the veranda, we could look to the right and there's a 600-foot waterfall towering over this valley, the, the Diamante Valley, as you said. And it's known for the tallest mountain or the tallest waterfall in Costa Rica. So we have this 600-foot waterfall that a lot of the property looks at. And then Polos is on the banks of the Diamante River. We have about two kilometers of, of river frontage. So you can almost hear the river from here. Beautiful. And Paul, um, have you been to Costa Rica before? And to, what is your connection with Holos? I, I have been, and I, you know, certainly had a dream to retire to Costa Rica. It didn't happen, but very much wanted to connect with Ian Michael because I'm very much in agreement with his basic vision, you know, to creating a center that makes transformation possible transformation in in number of ways it can be personal growth it can be healing if, if that's what's what's needed for you it can be spiritual expansion or it could be exploration of uh, non-ordinary states of consciousness in this beautiful environment and so it's it's the vision that attracted me here and uh it's amazing beautiful place really very well set up for for the transformation combined with a kind of holistic lifestyle. Okay. And there's more to say about that, but this would be the, the kind of uh, entering sentence. Well, Paul, in the subject of origin stories, the idea of Holos, I know, came from Ian Michael and a collection of his contacts to create a new type of center, a new type of space that merges 
environmentalism and conservation with mental health and mental wellness. This is an area that you have been an academic researcher on for a long time. And for those of you who don't know you or some of your background, can you just tell us a little bit of your origin story, how you got into the field of research that you have been in and how you made the discoveries that you've made? Well, you know, the discoveries are usually matter of luck being at the right space at the right location at the, at the right time and having the right problem working in. I really started my work in back in Prague where I grew up in the 1960s, 1960s were very unusual times. And uh, my brother at that time, you know, because he had uh, problems, he was jailed by the communists and uh, followed by the secret police. He got out, managed to get out, and that would be a separate long story. But I, um, in 1968, the the whole Central Europe was in big transformation, and it, it there was a short period, short window that was possible to to get out. So I I came to visit him, and and then while I was in 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 the United States, uh, the Red Army invaded, and uh, again, and uh, so I was not able to, it was a choice really between going back to jail or, or not. So it was an easy, easy, unexpected, but easy, easy decision. And that made it possible for me to continue fully with, with the research that I started. And was really, my fascination was um, mood disorders and particularly bipolar disorder as, you know, in the classical form, it's a wonderful topic for investigating consciousness, because these people go through three very distinctly different types of consciousness, one ordinary and two non-ordinary, the depression and mania. And uh, so I've spent the next 60, 65 years kind of investigating, investigating that. Um, I was fortunate that uh, I came to Canada to a new medical school so I could set up my programs the, the way I wanted, I could spend a couple of years in, in, in Washington, actually, in the National Institute of Mental Health to establish some of the connections and, and had, um, was able to continue in international collaboration. And the problems, the research problems really needed international collaboration. I would have never been able to, to do anything, uh, actually, had I come back if i was not in jail they would they would have kicked me out of the research institute so i just feel blessed that i was able to to stay outside and and, and continue the work and the rest i think was just luck and some of the kind of international awards and that was just because at that time we were possible we were able to develop some unique treatments you know um like like lithium treatment and prove that it's it's a mood step probably mood-stabilizing substance when it used properly can be very helpful to the classical type of, of manic depressive illness. But um, my life really has been on, on two chairs. And, you know, one was the transpersonal one that, of course, included involvement, involvement in psychedelics since 1950s, late 1950s. And, and the other one was the academic one, you know, working on the mood disorders. 
And I, I'd love to get into a little bit more about um, some of the discoveries you've made over the years and how you found yourself as a proponent on consciousness and conscious evolution. Before we get to that, let's top over to Ian Michael. You grew up in Alaska near the Denali Range and spent quite a lot of time at Esalen where you had worked um, before founding Holos. Can you share a little bit of your origin story for our audience and uh, how you got to the place you're at? Yeah, I can come up with some interesting parallels too. You know, I grew up in the middle of Alaska. At one point, Alaska was just a territory of the U.S. And so there's there's still a lot of um, very libertarian-minded people that believe in personal freedom up there. So my parents were like back to the woods, hippies, homesteaders. My dad was the first backcountry ranger in Denali National Park. Um, but I always had like a a way of living that was very close to the earth. So we had chickens and a garden and sometimes hunted. And th that was always like a big value to me is the power of community and the power of being connected to the land. But then there was also a lot of, of suffering in the people that were around me. And I had my own suffering and like some really significant suicidal depression from 11 until 15. And, um, psychedelics and and other support and meditation really popped me out of that depression and i went on a quest of like how can i contribute to the earth and also live in harmony with my environment so when i was 17 i got this inspiration to be vegetarian after some really powerful experiences and thought that the best place to be vegetarian was not alaska and that Central America would be a much easier place to grow food. And, and it's not really part of the culture in Alaska to be vegetarian. So had this inspiration to move to Costa Rica or Belize um, well over 20 years ago. And it's just taken a little while to realize that dream. But through my 20s, I created a degree in eco-resort design and development, did a master's in counseling, um, started raising a couple kids, contributed to some amazing retreat centers like Chena Hot Springs in Alaska or Esalen and helped rebuild those facilities. And then as I left Esalen, I got to know Paul's brother Stan a little bit more and started training in, in holotropic breath work at CIS, where I had done my master's years ago. And Stan at one point had his, his nonprofit came up to me and said, hey, what do you think of helping us build a center for transpersonal psychology? And I was like, oh, well, that sounds like a great idea. I'd love to help with that kind of a project. And we looked around California and elsewhere, and it never really landed. And then I had this revelation, well, what if we could have the freedom of working with psychedelics again and do the, the transpersonal work? as well as have a long-term community. So it was the intersection of all of these different dreams of my life coming together. And this name Holos came to me as a way to honor the, the legacy of Stan and, and the whole exploration of holotropic states. And holotropic means moving towards wholeness. So there's holotropic breath work, but any you know psychedelic experiences can be holotropic experiences. Dream work can be holotropic. Um, but the word Holos is meant to be wholeness. Like, what is it if we're actually already living in the realization that we are whole as individuals, that we are whole in our relations, and that we're whole in the sense of a planetary wholeness and the ecosystems that we inhabit. So this, this idea came 
to fruition just a year and a half ago, but it was really born in like 2018. And I looked around Costa Rica, but then um, Paul's brother had a stroke. And so I set the idea down for a couple of years, but people knew that that this seed had been planted in my psyche and encouraged me to continue to, to pursue it. So uh, eventually I fell in love with a, a waterfall down here and um, decided that that's where I wanted to explore. And it was really the pandemic that catalyzed the the birth of Holos. And the way that was is similar to, to the war times in Europe or when there was changes in the geopolitics. When COVID hit in early 2020, it became very apparent to me where the places would be that I would feel comfortable and that I would have the maximum amount of freedom. And so I checked in with my kids and their moms and I took the first flight that I could to Costa Rica because I saw all the borders closing. So I moved to Costa Rica March 2020, anchored into a small cabin here in the Diamante Valley, and really got to know the local community because I knew that that was the most important thing to do before building a center for holistic wellness was to, to know the conditions and the people and the environment. So really, the starting of Holos was an act of my own freedom and choosing a location similar to you moving to Canada, choosing a location where I could have a life that was thriving in harmony. So, yeah. And I think he's really succeeding because it's it's a great place. I'm, I'm very impressed. I'm impressed, first of all, as I mentioned, I'm impressed with the vision, but I can also see how the, the whole team kind of shares, you know, Ian and Michael's vision you talk to them and you you see that that, that they are in it they are they're very much connected with mm -hmm. that that i think is that it's is important for future growth the location is is i think you've seen it it's really wonderful you feel so close to heaven in some ways mm. there's a special special atmosphere here the nature around is is very beautiful and uh it's in a country that has not been that has not been in war has not been in any major upheaval for for 60 years and you feel it from the people that you can look at the statistics that they're, they're, they're among the the happiest people on earth and i think that's a very good environment for transformation whichever way you want to go and finally uh, i am struck uh, in micro managed to create sacred places there's so much uh, already in the, in the architecture there's so much sacred geometry that that you can see yes i have i have noticed that and speaking on this idea of holos and, and wholeness i'd like to shift now a little bit into some of your work paul around consciousness and ian michael your work around consciousness because this idea of like whole consciousness is something that I think is beginning to take root outside in, in different places where people are thinking about these things. You know, Paul, you've done so much work and research around consciousness, and you're considered one of the experts on studying, as you had said earlier, non-ordinary states of consciousness. I'm curious if you guys could talk to us a little bit about your views. You know, Ian, Michael, you're experiencing regular work around adapting you know varying states of consciousness and paul you've done a lot of research in this area what are your thoughts about the world's collective consciousness evolution 
and where we're at on this journey towards a more whole or complete form of consciousness. Wow, that's you just opened up a big, big topic, which is certainly one that I'm always contemplating. But it seems like to me that everything is already whole. Every atom, every being, every ecosystem, the planet, the universe. And it's just our minds that start to piece it apart and create separation. And a lot of that separation starts in a, in a trauma state where, where one of our needs aren't met or where we're threatened or the integrity of our, of our psyche or our being is threatened. And so a lot of times I feel like our work is just in the repatterning and the reminding people that what they were conditioned by or the previous experiences they had, even pre-birth or during birth experiences they had, have patterned them in a way that that there's this constriction that tells them that they're not whole. But in reality, I think that there, that wholeness is already the, the actual constituent of existence. This is a huge, huge topic with, with many, many aspects. One of them, I think, is that we are both distinct, unique beings and, and completely connected with, with everyone else. You know, we are really, in a way, embodied spirits. And I think the, the mystery, the, what we really need is to be able to live at, at both of those levels and, and you know when, when you live where. So in the soul, I think we are completely interconnected. And uh, I, I see it in a lot of group work that, that I've been doing, kind of distant remote healing, for example, with the groups. You can see very clearly the, the collectedness, the connectedness that people have in, in visions, in dreams, in um, experiences. And at the same time, I think uh, the world would stop existing if we also did not realize that we, we are also a distinct unique existence each of us and uh so you know there are these two levels uh, that one i think needs to needs to recognize and of course about consciousness we could talk for many hours it's it's amazing you know uh, there's been so much advantage in the past 40 400 years in technology in economy uh, so many things and yet the, the central theme, the central issue that we have feeling ourselves, feeling our body, we don't understand. We don't understand how that happens, where it happens. And finally, in the past 30 years, there, there's been uh, interest and very much increasing interest in investigating consciousness. And not just the ordinary consciousness, but, but also the non-ordinary states of of, of consciousness, but it's 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 so interesting. Yes, we know a lot about how things, how the processes move, uh, how let's say perception or thinking, cognitive processes, how it moves in the brain. But why do we feel that we have the individual experience? Why do we can tell that something is blue and not yellow? Uh, how how you, how come that you can tell that you? you the sound you hear, it's a, it's a flute. Those, that kind of consciousness, we, we don't understand enough. And we are really at the beginning. And until we change the uh, concept of, as, as long as people have this 
funny idea that consciousness is in the brain, you know, we're not going to move forward. Hmm. That's an interesting um, ending statement there, Paul. Do you believe that consciousness extends beyond the brain and even beyond the body? How do you see that? And what has some of your research pointed to? I don't think that's a matter of of belief. There is so much, you know, that that shows that certainly particularly non-ordinary states of consciousness come from field of consciousness around us. The I'm not going to go over the neurobiology, but well, maybe I could very simply say when when people let's say get severely depressed or manic, there are so many changes in the brain, you know neurotransmitters, <laughs> neuroendocrine, uh, the, the brain imaging changes completely. But the states that are so distinctly different, like, you know, when you're experiencing hell, hell of depression or the heaven of, of, of mania, then there's no problem and you have unlimited amount of energy, the changes in the brain are exactly the same. So it cannot, it cannot come from the brain. It, it has to there is, I think there is an interaction. The brain determines a number of things. The brain determines whether you have easy disposition to experience ordinary states. You know, we have, we are very different in that. The timing of that is, is, is influenced by the brain. It, the intensity is influenced by the brain. But the experiences themselves, I mean, look at... Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the, for example, near-death experiences, you know, that's been studied now by cardiologists, by psychiatrists, psychologists. Cardiologists, when they have a, somebody on, on, on the table and, and, and during operation or because of the condition they are, they die, they, they are resuscitated within five minutes, they come back and 20% of these people tell you about verifiable experiences that they had during those five minutes when they saw, you know, it's clearly consciousness goes, goes beyond the brain. Mm-hmm. If you look at the whole large area of psychic phenomena, there are much better documented research-wise, statistically, than anything we have in psychiatry. And yet they show very clearly that you know you can you can perceive things at a distance you can heal at a distance telepathy is very very well chosen we don't understand when things go well what what influences it because we need to first of all change the model of of consciousness but there is absolutely no uh, doubt in my mind that you know the consciousness plays outside of the outside of the brain mm-hmm. one of the things that always fascinated me as a child is that humans think about consciousness from the human perspective. And as soon as you take it out of the anthropocentric uh, view of what consciousness is, then you really have to look at the meaning of the word consciousness. And perhaps it means awareness or whatever that, that individual note of awareness is. And if you take it down to another level, it's like, well, Obviously, the trees are aware, and obviously the birds are aware, so they all have some form of consciousness. And you continue to go down, 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 down through the different the expressions of life, and then you get down to, to the elements, and you can ask yourself, is water aware? Is the mountain aware? And the conclusion that I've reached since childhood and is 
very often confirmed is that actually it is everything is aware this is this is a conscious universe and i've had moments with mountains or moments with a river where it's so clear that they are actually communicating that that, that river is actually aware of my presence interacting with my consciousness and has something to express itself and so that's i feel like one of the frontiers that that is really misunderstood or, or is is not been explored very much is what do we have to learn from the what we consider to be inanimate world um, which is actually talking to us all the time mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's some evidence that has been sort of fronted in the scientific world that you know as they study consciousness and this is particularly relevant as we begin to build new technologies like ai um, and start to think about what is the point by which something that is maybe technological will achieve consciousness it, it's made it that much more urgent in a way to look at other forms of consciousness and you know some of the research has but indicated that, that it whether it achieves human-like consciousness that's what you mean well any form like you know like it's quite likely that ai will actually achieve non-human-like consciousness and we it may have already achieved it and it may just not be something that we can easily recognize in the same way that we can't recognize some forms of consciousness in nature and one of the evidential points that is emerging from the field of physics is this kind of theory that some form of consciousness is related to density of electric electricity so the more neurons that are kind of closely packed together in a place like the brain or the body the more the uh, these electrical signals overlap and create some sort of you know kind of field and from that field arises this level of awareness so when you think about a rock for instance or, or like a mountain stone there is still an energetic transmission as the atoms in the rock engage with each other and you know they just happen to be very simple um, and very spread apart and therefore very slow so there's this idea of a time component to consciousness and this idea that some aspects of the material world around us theoretically have a form of not easily understood consciousness by humans and that inability for us to understand it is exacerbated by some kind of longer time horizon based on the width of or like the distance between the atoms that are circulating in that particular structure so for instance you know a rock which has very simple atomic structures very very simplified electrical you know overlap very very simplified form of consciousness but still some form of consciousness nonetheless and then the idea that that becomes more and more complex as you get towards more and more forms of advanced life and particularly relevant in the technology world because as we start to build these connecting connections in the internet between nodes and links as we start to approach a number of nodes now that exceeds that of say a human brain if you think about a link and node in the internet like a kind of synapse and cell in something like the brain or your fascia in the in the human body the numbers are starting to become roughly equivalent in terms of the number of of links and nodes that exist in a, a say a human being and which exist in the internet and that's set to exceed in the very near future so you know this idea that some form of 
unexplained consciousness will spontaneously arise from these electrical connections that exist in the internet-based grid. Um, it's kind of an interesting thing that a lot of people in the tech world are thinking about right now. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think from your work about the relationship between consciousness and reality, because our reality is observed through really primarily three dimensions right now. And Paul, I think you might be a good person to start on this. We know there are at least 11 dimensions that are available within physics, most of which are nano dimensions. But I'm curious like what you think the relationship is between reality and consciousness, or the, our perceptions of reality. Well, you know, there are two, just going back to what you just described, I, I fully agree that's a fascinating theory. The problem is how to formulate it in a way that you can actually test it, test it against number of other theories that, mm -hmm. that are now developing very, very fast, some of them based on quantum physics, some of them not. But what you raised, I think it, it, it depends. Clearly, we, we don't perceive correct reality, that there's no doubt about it. But there are two different modes of, of per perceiving reality. One is in, in the ordinary consciousness, you know, when you, you do have perception of yourself, of the body, of the environment around, and it, you perceive it, the, for whatever reason, the, the mind sets it up in a way that you, you believe there is a linear time and there is a three-dimensional space. And I think that's, that's obviously created by some functions of the brain. In non-ordinary states, you see right away that, you know, we don't perceive, we certainly don't perceive complete reality. That's very clear. You know, the time starts changing, even even when in the simple situations like when people people are depressed, they change, they completely change perceived reality. Everything is awful. Everything there's nothing good about life. Nothing will ever be good. And when you ask them to to estimate time, for example, when you tell them, you know, tell me now, ten seconds. They, they will come up with 15, 16, because their life, their, their perception of, of time even is, is, is changing. So, you know, it depends. I think um, clearly we do not, in the ordinary state, we do not perceive for reality. There's no doubt about that. Very interesting. Ian, Michael, you've done hundreds of journeys with, I assume, thousands of people, even thousands of journeys into what, Paul might describe as non-ordinary states of consciousness using plant medicine. And that's one of the missions of Hollos is to bring plant medicine as a therapy for more people. What's your view on, on this idea of consciousness linked to reality and the kind of intelligence of plant medicine to influence that? One of the interesting things about psychedelic states, psychedelic means mind manifest or soul manifest or breath man made manifest to be seen and stan and others built this understanding that set and setting were really important to any psychedelic experience uh, the the set being your mindset and the setting being the environment that you're in so going to the mindset piece what's interesting in these states where you have a high degree of neuroplasticity 
when you start to think of something or focus on something, it, it often grows. So there's this basic idea in quantum mechanics that the act of observation allows something to turn from a wave into a particle. And so if you extrapolate that basic understanding from a quantum physics standpoint or from a, a basic physics standpoint, and you bring that into the world of psychology or, or human consciousness, then if you take it to the far end of the spectrum, then it's something like the movie The Matrix, where you're able to actually shift your understanding of time and space and your experience of reality by shifting your mindset. And that's taking it to the, the the far extreme. But we're in a consensual reality. What that means is we have all agreed to a certain set of things that we call reality on earth. And so our societies and our our proclivities and, and, and our likes and our dislikes are largely conditioned by this larger set of agreements that we have unconsciously entered into. And so the consciousness has built this society and built the ways that humans have been on the earth that has become crystallized in very particular ways. And I think that we're seeing a lot of that breaking down right now in terms of economics and um, mental health issues and and all of these pieces of what human beings have crystallized in society as separated from nature no longer is, is going to hold up because nature ultimately wins. And nature exists in us. We are nature and nature exists beyond us. But nature is not a, a solid and static thing. Nature is an interaction between aware beings for the greater expression of life and, and diversity of form. And so if we can't get on board with that flow of life and allowing ourselves to be co-creators, if we hold on to a singular um, way that consciousness constructs reality, then we're, we're in a losing game because the life-death cycles that they allow for the new expressions of, of perception and the new expressions of form and beauty. So that was like a very esoteric way of saying that consciousness may or does play a very large part in the crystallization of any given reality. But over time, that has to change. That's like a necessary component of life is regeneration and change and new expressions. So all the distinct life forms that we have on earth are, are this basic principle of the crystallization and then the dissolution. And, and you have to be part of that for evolution to take place. And, and for us to not become a dead species, we have to be willing to evolve. We have to be willing to have our consciousness project onto reality, what we think that life is in any given moment, and then have the ability and the neuroplasticity and the willingness to give up that reality and to construct a new one. So I think that that's the period that we're in. We're in the disillusion of the realities that we thought were keeping us safe, and they're no longer as safe as we thought they were. Fascinating. Fascinating. Paul, do you have more thoughts? Yeah, on that? Well, I think well, well, my experience is this constant change so well when one lives so close to the waterfalls of course <laughs> you 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 can see everything moving all the time and, and changing and reflects i think very much i i think symbolically expresses yeah. what 
Yeah, what, and, what uh, Ian Michael was talking about. Yeah, it's like it, in a psychedelic journey. If if this real is going on of your like watching your life or different parts of your life, and if you get attached to one piece of it and you start to concentrate on that, mm-hmm. then it amplifies, and and so mm-hmm. you have to be willing to let that go too, and then and then allow what wants to come next. Yeah, that's so um, such an an advertisement for being able to find yourself into flow state and then to be able to maintain yourself in flow state. And I think the definition of flow state is that it's constantly moving and flowing and changing. So I want to ask you both from your own perspectives, what's the most surprising thing you've encountered on your various journeys that's been a lesson to inform your perspective about these non-ordinary states of consciousness? You ask tough questions. Uh, <laughs> yes. The first thing that popped up in my mind is um, is my first experience with 5-MeO-DMT, which was so far outside what is possible for an individuated human consciousness to understand. And so it took me a couple weeks to be able to really come back into a human experience. I would close my eyes and, um, or like when I was going to sleep at night and I would end up back in the five MEO realm, which was well beyond time and space and individuation. And so, although I had had a lot of different experiences in my life and had a really deep meditation practice for more than 10 years, I was, I was surprised at how little I know. And that's kind of the constant reminder, but that was like such a big wake up call of like, you need to respect these medicines and you need to respect the the fragility of your understanding of your own individuated self because once that's completely obliterated you know you you want to make sure that you can come back to some semblance of an ego structure and and live on earth so yeah i think i was i've been humbled many times by by the medicines of like these are meant to be treated with a lot of respect i would say every journey has been surprise in 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 new ways if if you force me to you know focus on one particular then then i would say the experience of 5meo when uh, i traveled through the black hole that was just just unbelievable how how that can happen you know just starting getting into it traveling through it appearing in a different universe on the other side. I think that's one of the great questions of science is what's on the other side of a black hole. And from a physics standpoint, we think it's a different dimensions, nano dimensions even. Tell us what's on the other side of that black hole. <laughs> what did you find? But, but I would say that every, every journey has been a, a surprise in some ways. Yeah, I think that might be the unifying factor, right? I think we talked about this. Um, you know, Paul, so much is changing. The world is embracing your research. It's embracing your brother Stan's work. You both are at a point now, and we, when we spoke earlier, we talked about the fact that it's space and time, particular space and time has allowed you to be able to do this lifetime of work, which is contributing so much to a new generation's understanding of the potential um, for both conscious development and you know plant-based connectivity to to be able to discover new realms i you know in the context of where the world is today can you tell me how you feel about some of the the general situation in, in terms of the development of the industry is this kind of what you expected 
do you think that the levels of investment and development are going in the right way? And what advice would you have for people who are working on developing these, you know, access to these things, but also, you know, businesses around these things so that we do it right and build something that actually is going to advance the species? Like, what advice would you have? As Ian Michael said, you do ask questions, don't you? You know, there are different aspects to it. First of all, we do need more tools to help people. I'm, I'm really concerned that the worsening situation in, in, in mental health, the increase in uh, number of people in, in distress is, is worrisome. I don't know whether you've seen some of the recent um, numbers, I think, from the United States, for example. You know, it's like 40% of young people have significant emotional distress, 12% seriously suicidal. And we have, we have uh, in our research, we, we follow about 400 children from families who had their problems and, and, and 2,000 student, students, like a control. And it's, it's a very similar number, worrisome. So we, we need more tools and, and, and therefore we, we need more activity in the, in the industry. What surprises me is the, I should not have probably, the, the greed that comes with this, all this di direction. And uh, I, I feel that the, the issue is probably there's a need for very open communication with the industry. I, I, my experience has been there's a lot of good people in the pharmaceutical industry that you can connect on a similar basis. You just have to say very clearly, this is where we end, but this is where we part. This is the question of, you know, how you make money and, and, and gain money, but this is a different issue. But how can we create more substances that, that are helpful and, and can reach a larger number of people? The important thing is, I think, for the regulatory bodies to realize that the psychedelic substances are different from other substances, from from pharmacological agents, and that they have to be tested with the awareness of the importance of a certain setting and the mindset of, of the person who provides. It's, it's not just the drug or the, the, the dosage like in, in all other situations. And we have to develop good training programs for people who administer these substances to people who need it, whether it's for healing, whether it's for personal growth, whether it's for spiritual advancement. Yeah, and that kind of is a nice segue to your work at Holos, Ian Michael. Mm -hmm. What's your vision for Holos? Another really big question. So there's one-year visions, three-year visions, five, 10, 100, thousand-year visions. And that's really the bigger context that I look at things. I was the son of a home builder and he always taught me, you know, you build a house for at least a hundred years. So I think about this in terms of we're at the very early seed stage of this, um, of this endeavor of, of this expression of wholeness on earth. And more specifically, we have, you know, this first site, which is 200 acres in this unbelievably beautiful um, Valley, the Diamante Valley, 
it's a mix between conservation, cultivation, community, and care, and a place where we do healing work. And so we have a lot of trees to plant this year. And my hope for this community is that we are able to produce enough food for 100 people to live here five years from now, so all, all year round. So we've got a lot of trees to plant because you plant a tree today and you get jackfruit and avocados in five years. So there's also a number of houses that are being built, which I'm really excited about seeing the community come together here. And then we have really clear aspirations for building other sites. So we've been looking in British Columbia and Colorado for where is the right land that wants to be tended. And, and ultimately what we're really doing is we're, we're creating the conditions for culture to emerge and culture to, to be cross-pollinated. At my time at Esalen, I realized that a lot of the great practices and traditions that came out of Esalen were the were the marriage between a couple different traditions, whether it was Gestalt therapy and somatics or um, Zen Buddhism and and who knows what and and like uh, ecology. Actually, there was a lot of and quantum physics and psychology. So I feel like Holos is a place where there's the realization of different traditions coming together. We have a lot of uh, relationships with different indigenous traditions um, in the entheogenic world, as well as different indigenous traditions in Costa Rica. And my hope for Holos is that it becomes a container where culture is able to be distinct and honored, as well as for new culture to emerge. So I'm really excited about having Paul here and continuing to weave in really brilliant human beings like yourself, Stan, that contribute to that culture. Just your week here, you know, contributed to the culture of Holos. So, yeah, I think um, I, I think running a network and a community ourselves that is both physical and virtual, we've learned a lot about what I call often the archaeology of culture, and the archaeology of culture is created by experience and being able to document that experience and to share that experience and to replicate. Um, that experience onward is really, I think, how you build and develop culture over the long run. And, you know, uh, we talked about this down in in Costa Rica, but I think the future is very much about synchronizing these communities and these networks so that they can amplify their work um, toward a more exponential basis to solve the, the grand challenges that we face as a society. And I think you're both doing that work I want to thank you so much for joining the Chronicles today. I know that there's a waterfall probably beckoning for you right now. Thank you so much, Paul. Um, as we wrap up here, can you tell us like where we can find more of your work? I know that you've written over 350 articles and two books. Uh, is there a place that people can go to learn more about your amazing work in, in this field? Well, I think on the best thing is on the internet. Uh, what are we going to do? Unfortunately, we have about 130 videos that are still kept private for various technical reasons but i think the best thing is to go go on the go on the internet and you know from and, the, from the and yeah. look for paul graf yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and, and Yes, and YouTube. And Ian Michael, holos.global to find out about how to make a visit to Costa Rica. Exactly. Yeah, please. Everyone is welcome. Great. Well, I thank you. I look forward to seeing you in another dimension soon. And um, thank you so much for joining the Chronicles today. For the Hub Culture Chronicles, I'm Stan Stalmaker signing off on this beautiful Costa Rican mountaintop day here in 
Washington, D.C., like the power of technology to link these two places. For more episodes of The Chronicles, find us online at Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. And of course, streaming live through Zeek.ai, our growing and evolving artificial intelligence. That's all for now.